Um, do me a favor, open up your Bibles with me. And we're going to be continuing now in our study in the book of Mark. We are going to be going through the whole book of Mark. Um, you're going to be in Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at just another couple of verses. It, uh, it's going to take us some time to get through the whole book of Mark. It's not something that we want to just fly through, jump through. Um, there is a lot to be learned here. So as we are looking to this book, you know, we, we've already talked about, you know, who Mark is and, and how we got to the book of Mark, and I'm not going to rehash through all of that. If you, if you aren't sure, you can go back on YouTube and watch the, the first one in, in the series, but today we're going to be talking uh, around the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so the, the title today is, And So It Begins, because this is where Jesus, within the book of Mark, takes off. We've talked around uh, Jesus coming onto the scene. We've talked about Jesus getting baptized. We have talked about Jesus going into the desert and being tempted by Satan himself. We've talked about how all of these things directly even affect and relate to each of us. But here we're going to get to see where where Jesus is now going to start beginning his ministry. And we're going to be looking at a whopping two verses. Again, you all may say, well, how do you turn a whole sermon out of just a couple of verses? Well, we could probably preach out of this just for a time, but I'm going to save you all from that. But take a look there at, at Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. It says, Now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Short and sweet, right? Short and sweet. We should be able to go, well, that makes a lot of sense, Pastor. Thanks for the message today. We all get an early lunch. Ha! No, you ain't. We got a meeting after this. I'm just kidding. So, so here's the deal. There's, there's a lot going on just within these couple of verses. And so we're going to go through. We're going to start unfolding these things. This, these verses 14 and 15, these are just simply an overview. This is just an overview of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He starts off. With, with telling us now that John the Baptist has been arrested. You know, Jesus, he's in Galilee, he's proclaiming the gospel, and then Jesus speaks. And if your Bibles have the words that are written in red, you'll get to see those listed there. So this is just a small overview of what is happening and still what is yet coming. John the Baptist, as it starts us off, he's arrested, he is imprisoned by uh, Herod Antipas, and, uh, and this is simply because he spoke against the wife of Herod's brother, Philip. Her name was uh, Herodias, and Herod was having an affair with her, which is a no-no. It's one of the commandments. And John the Baptist sees this, he knows this, and he says, ha, this is a perfect opportunity. I'm going to go up against the king. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like, like, he's the ruler here. Like, he, like, this is the guy. 
and I'm going to go against him, I'm going to stand against him, I'm going to call him out right in the middle of public, and I'm going to make this thing known. He's going to go down, man. It's going to be great. And so he goes forth, and he's like, dude, you know you can't be laying with your brother or sister. You can't do that. And he loves, what's that? Your brother's wife. Sorry. Thank you. See, this is the reason I have people that help me up here. They all sit up close. Yeah, well, you can't lay with your brother or sister neither, just so you know. That's not allowed either. But, but just in case we weren't, we weren't sure. But, but you can't lay with your brother's wife either, because that's not good either. <clears throat> See, now I'm all discombobulated. So, so he goes and he makes this thing known. And he does it publicly. And Herod's like, no, you don't do that. You don't do that, especially to me. And so he has John the Baptist arrested. Now, there's a whole other thing that will come, you know, about what, you know, with, with John the Baptist. Um, uh, just, you know, foretelling here, he ends up being beheaded because of this. He goes to prison. Because he spoke against this, this thing that was happening, he ends up being beheaded. It, it gets worse because of, because of uh, Herod, but it, well, that's for another sermon. Now, it jumps into Jesus is going into Galilee. He's proclaiming the gospel, it says. So, Jesus is now returned from the wilderness, and he's going to begin teaching and preaching. There's really no time lapse in the ministry of Jesus. He's moving and grooving. He doesn't, he doesn't pause after getting back from the wilderness, other than the fact that the angels came and they were attending to him. So I guess there was that break while he was just like recouping from that initial 40 days of fasting, which remember, 40 days of fasting was no food, literal, physical, no food, no water. So he's recouping from that. We know that the angels come down. They are ministering to him. And then as soon as that's over with, he goes out and starts teaching and preaching. He doesn't stop and is like, you know, I think I'm going to take sabbatical. You know, I think I'm going to take maybe a couple of weeks off. I'm going to run down to the East Coast, maybe catch some waves. Like, like that's not what Jesus does. He's, he's like, this is done now. It's time to get, get to work. It's time to get busy. There is something to be proclaimed here and the people need to hear and know of the good news why because there is zero time to waste here when you stop and you think about it how much time do each of us have to waste when it concerns jesus how much church church how much time do we have to waste everybody go like this for me hold that above your head just like this that represents a big zero. You have zero time to waste when it comes to knowing who Jesus is and hearing the gospel message. You don't have anything guaranteed to you. I would love to tell you, hey, you know what? You want to blow off some steam, go take it another year off. Maybe you come back and find Jesus then. But the truth is, is he could come at any moment. It says he comes like how? A thief in the night, Right? So when this thing happens, you're not going to know it's coming. And so if you're a person who hasn't accepted Jesus Christ into your life, and you know, because this is what the scriptures tell us, okay, this isn't just the pastor up here going, hey, he's just throwing a bunch of stuff at you to scare you half to death. The truth of the matter is simply this. There is heaven and there is hell, right? There is no in-between, right? Purgatory doesn't exist, right? I mean, I even had a priest tell me that here 
couple years ago. He's like, just so you know, the Catholic Church said purgatory doesn't exist anymore. So like that's even off the table. So you have heaven and you have hell. There is no in-between. And you're going to fall into one of two categories. You're either the people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. You believe in his birth, his death, and his resurrection. You have heard the gospel. You have believed in the good news. And you have made a choice, a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And you have an eternity spent with your Father in heaven. Or the other end, which is you've made a choice not to follow Jesus Christ. And you will now spend an eternity in hell and damnation. Suffering where scripture tells us there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If I have my druthers, I'm picking the first one, right? I think most of us would pick the first one. Now, most of us would simply say this too. We would say, well, that's okay. I'm all right. I'm, I'm probably going to heaven. Probably is not good enough. If you say I'm probably going to heaven, you're probably going to hell. If you, if you want to get right down to it, you're probably going to suffer weeping and gnashing of teeth for the whole rest of your eternity. Not the rest of your life. The rest of your life is here on this earth. So your eternity is just that. It's beyond what you can even imagine. So which one is it are you going to follow? Are you going to base your eternity on a probably? I just got done filing my taxes. I said, I'm probably going to have to pay in a whole bunch. The good news is, is I didn't have to pay in as much. And that was a blessing. And don't think I didn't. Praise the Lord for that. The government got theirs, okay? But I didn't have to suffer nearly as bad as I thought I was going to have to. Praise the Lord. But I didn't base everything on a probably. I want my eternity to be assured. You, 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 can't, you can't base your life on a probably. And we do it all the time. What's the other one that we, that we always hear? Well, well, I'm a good person, though. God will take that into account. But you know what? There's a whole lot of good people that are sinners. I think I'm a good person. Most of you in this room would probably say, well, Pastor Greg's a pretty good person. But you know what also I am? I'm a sinner. And you want to know what sinners do? Sinners go to hell. And the only reason that I'm not going to hell is because I have put my faith, my hope, and my trust in Jesus Christ. And it's the only reason I'm not going to hell is because he paid the price. He paid the penalty for my death. What I deserved. I'm not willing to put my eternity into a probably. Being a good person is not enough to assure you heaven. Probably is really good at assuring you an eternity in hell. There's one way to know. One. And that is faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. He's the only name by which we are given under heaven, by which, which men must be saved. He's the only name. He's the only name that's powerful. He's the only name that has been given to us that, that has been, that he's the true one sacrifice. That's it. It's him and him only. So here comes Jesus Christ. And he says, it says right here, he says, Jesus came into Galilee. And what was he doing? He said, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm preaching and bringing the good news. Why? Because there's no time to waste. All these people that I'm looking at are people who are going to hell. 
That's all he saw. Everywhere that Jesus looked was people going to hell. And you want to know something? It's not that different today. Within the walls, the confines of this church here this morning, I'd say there's probably a fair percentage. But you want to know what I'm not going to say? Is 100% of the people who are gathered here this morning are going to heaven. I'm not going to tell you that because it's not true. Some in this room will go to heaven, and some right now are destined for hell. And it's not because God's going to send you there. It's because you've chosen not to follow him. It's because you've chosen not to follow Jesus Christ. And it may sound like, well, preacher, you're coming at us pretty hard this morning. You know what? Again, I'm going to tell you this. Jesus said there's no time to waste. I'm going to bring forth the gospel. I'm going to bring forth the good news. There is no time for me to waste either. I have been tasked with telling you the truths. And it's truths that you need to hear. It's truths that you need to absorb. It's truths that you need to accept. And then get this, it's a truth you need to proclaim with your mouth. Because Romans 10 says so. It says for us to claim, to, to, to say it. We, we can't just dilly-dally around and say, well, there's time. Because you don't know that. No one knows when the end is coming. We've got tons of, of what we would consider signs and symbols, right? Signs of the times. You know, there's a lot of people that are like, they're like oh, this has got to be the end, right? Israel just got attacked. Oh, it's got to be the end. Russia and America, like, we're not getting along. Oh, it's got to be the end because blah, 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 blah. You tag in there whatever you want to, and you can go, it must be. But you know what? A thousand years ago, people were going, can you believe it? There's a drought. It must be the end. We don't know. Even people right after Jesus died, he died, he rose, and then people almost immediately then were like, the end's here. The end is coming. It's going to happen. And we've been waiting, and we've been waiting, and we've been waiting, and some of us have even been inviting it, haven't we? I mean, who in this room hasn't said, bring it, Jesus. Come on in this thing. I'm ready to go. Right? I mean, who's, who, come on, seriously, who has said, Jesus, come home? Bring me home, just in this thing, right? But get this, if that happens, you've got loved ones going to hell. Do you really want him coming? Do you really want him here? Right here, right now, do you want to hear the trumpet sound? And then lose forever the loved one that you're going to, that you're going to have in heaven with you? Or... And here's a, here's a crazy thought. Maybe as Christians, we can do the thing that Jesus called us to do. How insane is that? Like, like maybe, just maybe, we begin sharing the gospel. And maybe, just maybe, and I know it's crazy, we start telling friends and family about Jesus, and we start inviting them to church. Because we want to see them again. Because we want them to hear and know and and. and Believe in their hearts the good news of Jesus. I know it's crazy, right? But there's been crazier people than just me all throughout history, even beginning back with John the Baptist, right? Going, behold, right? I didn't blow your ears out this morning with that one. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is real. 
He is 100% real. He is the true one, son of God, who suffered, died, was buried, and then, come on, church, he rose from the dead. Like, that, that is who Jesus Christ is. He rose from the dead. And, and it's not just that I'm standing here telling you this thing. There are witnesses who saw Jesus after he died. Hundreds of witnesses. Hundreds. We send people to prison for one witness. Because we go, without a doubt, this person did X, right? Send them and lock them away. We get a couple of witnesses and we go, this person did this. Well, surely, without a doubt, let's put them to death. Let's have hundreds of witnesses of Jesus Christ being alive, walking around, sharing the good news, continuing to make disciples. And then we go, that's a big load of baloney. Seriously? We have the most historically accurate book in history. It can't be refuted. The scholars have tried. Chelsea, you're in seminary. She will back me up on this. Like, we've studied this thing and studied this thing, and there are atheists in this world, get this, that go, yeah, Jesus was real. Atheists who say Jesus was real. And yet they still won't believe. They still will not give their hearts to the Lord. Is that crazy? Yes. 100%. Here's the thing. This is the reason I told you, yeah, can I preach from just two verses? You betcha. (laughs) Jesus Christ comes on scene and he doesn't waste time. And the truth is we don't have time to waste either. None of us do. Not just me as your pastor here to tell you the good news. Not just to stand up here and preach to you guys, but every single one of you sitting there in the seat, your rear ends should be a little bit hot this morning. And if it's not, I guess I'm not doing a good job. Because the truth is, is we all need Jesus, we all need the good news of the gospel, and we all need to be sharing it. I mean, I I probably sound like a broken record so many times when I'm I'm like, do you see the passion I have? I've got passion. I've got passion for days. I love, like, I look forward to this when I get to tell people about Jesus. When I get to just proclaim and share the gospel, it just fuels me. It fills me up. Like, I feel like, like, yes, I'm doing what he's asked me to do. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I sit here and I stand here rather, and, 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 and I'm looking out, and I'm preaching to you guys, like, and I'm just trying so hard to get to you, and y'all are like this. And I'm like, I'm like, Jesus is alive, and he just rose from the dead, and y'all go. And then, get this, and then it's, this is what I love. One person, one. And then the whole church, all right, well, we're supposed to, it's okay to give God praise. Don't let it stop you. If you feel in your heart that the Lord's like, like, maybe you should give me a praise right now, I'd be like, go Jesus. Like, it's okay. You're not going to interrupt me. You're not worshiping me. You're not praising me. You're supposed to be worshiping and praising the Lord. You're supposed to be free to move in the Holy Spirit. 
And that means if you want to give a shout of praise, it means if you want to give the Lord a little accolation, you're like, come on, do it. We aren't supposed to be the sit-on-our-hands people. We are supposed to be the hands and the feet. I did it backwards. The hands and the feet of Jesus. We're supposed to be the people who are going outside these four walls and making him known. It's, it's what we're called to do. So again, I, I'm going to get back to it. So Jesus comes on scene. We've been here like four times now. And, and then we know that Jesus, he says this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, right? He's speaking a solid message to us now. There is now a new and a better way for people to know who the Lord is. Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says this. It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is happening, or is, is the, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah Remember, this was, this was foretold. This was, this was given to us way long before Jesus comes. This points to the foretelling of John the Baptist, bringing, bringing in this message and, and, and him telling people to repent and to uh, repent and, 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 to, and be baptized. Him pointing to Jesus Christ as, as being the Savior. It, it points us to the fact that, that when God does come, he's going to start making things straight. He's going to be changing up things. He's going to be, it says, you know, every valley it shall be lifted up and the mountains and the hills are going to be made low. Like, how do you do that? Like, like, like here's the mountain and he's going to make it low. Here's the plains and here's the valleys. They're going to be lifted up. The grounds, everything, unevenness is going to become level. The rough places are going to become plain, meaning smooth. And then the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. What, what does all that mean? It means that there's a shakeup happening. It means that there's a shakeup happening. He's talking about turning everything upside down here, Isaiah is. The mountains are going to be made low. The valleys are going to be lifted high. Showing. He just flipped everything on end, didn't he? There's a shakeup happening. And it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. He's changing the way that things are done. He's not coming in and doing things the way that it's been done for so long. Where it's, where it's you go in and there's some Pharisee or some Sadducee or some chief priest and you got to go into the temple and you got to do this and this and that and the other. Jesus Christ is going to come in and he's going to go, I got a better way. I got something, something even better for you all to do and to follow. And the beauty of it is he made it even easier. Remember, we, we started out with just Ten Commandments, right? God gave those to Moses, right? He goes up on the hill, he comes down. Moses got the Ten Commandments. How many of us follow all Ten Commandments? Good, I didn't see a single hand raised. Good for you all. 
because I was going to call out whoever went up. Trust me. No, I really wouldn't have. But, but, but then the, here's the Jews, right? They were like, hey, look, we got these solid ten commandments. But here's an even better idea. Let's create like 600 more just for fun. I mean, we can't follow these, but surely we can follow these other 600, right? And what was it that those 600 actually did? All it did was point them to their failures, didn't it? It pointed them to the fact that they weren't good enough and that they were going to fail at every single aspect of following the Lord. That's all it did. It pointed out the fact that they were sinners. Guess what? I know I'm a sinner without the 600. I know that I fail God daily. I know that I need Jesus Christ. So there's a shakeup that is happening. Things are about to change and they're never going to be the same because Jesus says, get this, he says, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. And he means that, that, that the prophecy, it's been fulfilled. And, and now you've got to prepare yourself for anything because he's about to stir things up. Hold on to your horses. Pull up your bootstraps. It's about to get crazy. And in the time of Jesus, this was crazy. In the time of Jesus, like, like this was being widespread. People are talking, right? You know, like nowadays, we, we, we sort of make the joke, you're like, people are gathering around the water cooler at, the, at, at their job sites. Well, like this was people gathering around their donkeys and being like, hey, have you heard about this dude, you know, and, and talking about the good news and, and the things that are happening and how he's saying that we need to do things. Like Jesus is stirring things up. Who doesn't love a good shakeup? Churches do, don't they? Doesn't churches love when there's a shakeup cost? Right? We love, we love in the church for a good shakeup to happen. We, we invite it, don't we? We love to change stuff, especially as Baptists. We love it when change comes through them doors. We're like, yes, it's about time. Aren't we? Are we excited? Come on, bring on the change. And we love it. We love it when our traditions are uprooted. Oh, it's nothing better than a solid tradition just flying out the window, right? Come on, who's with me, church? Right? I mean, we love it. No. There's been many a pastor kicked out of a church, especially Baptist churches, because they decided to come in and shake things up. Now, sometimes... Sometimes writing's on the wall. You're like, no, that pastor was not on board. But if you got a pastor who is holding true to this, he says, church, this is what we follow. And we're going to shake things up, and we're going to do away with traditions that aren't necessarily honoring the Word of God. We're going to stop doing the stuff that we used to do just simply because Betty Sue, way back in the day, liked to do it. We're going to stop doing things that doesn't necessarily point to Jesus just because that's eh, what we've always done. I'm that pastor, if you haven't noticed. I'm the guy, way back two years ago, that said we need to stop everything we're doing. 
We'd back everything up. You know, there's a lot of churches that would have kicked pastors out on that one statement alone. When the pastor says, we need to stop doing Sunday school, churches would go, you need to leave. You know what this church did? They went, that's what you think. And we're going to do that. And you trusted me. And I can't tell you how much, one, I appreciated it. But more than trusting me, what it proved to me is that you trusted in the Lord. Because we had to change everything we did here at Bethlehem. For the most part. And we did. We backed things up to the point where all we did was church on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock and that was it. We shook things up to the point where we brought in a female youth ministry. We shook things up to the point where we, where we had a female worship ministry. We shook things up where we said, you know what? We are, we are going to stop just simply doing traditions and instead we're going to open this thing up and we're going to follow what this says. And we're going to glorify the Lord in every single thing that we do and we're going to take, we're going to take inventory of why we're doing it. Who's it for? Are we just simply doing it because it's the way it's always been done? Are we going to do it because it glorifies the Lord in every single ounce of what we are doing? That's who we are as a church, and that's who we have to be. Because if we're anything less than that, we are hypocritical. Our finances of this church has to be before the Lord. It can't be so that you support me as a pastor. It can't be so that we're doing X, Y, and Z ministries. It has to be that we are glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who is responsible for the finances here in this church. He's responsible for our giving. He's responsible for the way that you give. And all of it has to be for him and for his glory. Everything that we do here, from the time that we walk through these doors, to the way that we worship, to the message that is brought forth here, everything has to be done for the Lord. And I'll tell you, I haven't done them all the best and the greatest. I've been learning. I've been growing just the same as the rest of you all. I am, I am, uh, like, I've been a pastor of this church for 10 years, but eight and a half of those years, I was an associate pastor. When I, when I first stepped into this particular role, like, I thought I knew a whole bunch of stuff. Turns out, I knew squat. I thought I knew how hard it was going to be. Pfft, no clue. You all are work. No, I'm just kidding. It takes a lot to devote yourself to these things. And it's not just me. There's Sunday school leaders, worship ministers, youth ministers. We don't have deacons, but when we do, they're going to have their work cut out for them. We have, we have ministry assistants that do tons of stuff. We have a pastor's wife that supports me and gives up way more than you all can ever imagine. There are people here who just knowingly serve, willingly serve out of the goodness of their hearts because they want to glorify the Lord. It's amazing to see how everything begins to unfold and how we've had more volunteers in the last two years than we've had, and golly, I can't tell you how long. It's amazing to watch how the church can grow when the church is relying 100% on Jesus Christ. And we stop worrying about the traditions and the old ways. When we put away everything and we say, how and where, God? How do you want me to do this thing? Jesus 
He's everything, and he gives us everything that we could possibly need, the direction and the guidance of what we need to do. So Jesus is now on scene. He, we, we just talked, he's going to be causing a shakeup. He's going to be changing how, how religion in and of itself works. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is here. The kingdom, as he says, it's now at hand. Jesus is on scene. He's going to bring a message that you better put your ears on and hear. You've got to hear it. And more importantly than hearing it, you have to believe it. Right here in your heart. The old way of doing religion, especially for the Jews back in that time, it's ending. It's coming to an end. It's stopping. It's now more about giving your heart to the Lord than bringing a sacrifice, like an animal sacrifice. It's about sacrificing yourself to the Lord. It's about repenting for your faults and your failures and your sins against God. Remember, repent is to turn away from. That's what it means. The, the one word, repent, means turn away from, and then you can fill in your blank, right? It's about turning away from everything that is against God, admitting it of yourself, meaning you're going to confess that you're a sinner. You're going to give yourself to the Lord completely and totally and then get this, you're actually going to be sorrowful for what you've done. It's not just the, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus. It's the, I am sorry, Jesus, for what I've done. Because I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. Before every single person in this church this morning, I am a sinner. And I need Jesus. And if I need him, I know you do too. Not because I'm bigger or better than you. It's because I know I'm broken inside of so many times. And I need Jesus. And he's the only person that can get me out of the mess that I have created. I created the mess. I need Jesus and I need him to see and know that I am sorry for what I have done in my life. I am not a perfect man. I'm not. Nobody in this room is perfect. There's only ever been one. His name is Jesus. He's the only perfect being who has ever walked the face of this earth. And, and, and we, no different than the people who crucified him on the cross, we crucified him on the cross, and we do it every single day that we sin against him. We have to repent and be sorrowful for the things of our lives. We've got to give our heart to Jesus Christ. We've got to put our faith and our trust in him, and we've got to seek forgiveness. And I don't know why the message is coming out like this particular way this morning, why it seems so different or urgent. But it is what it is. And so it has to begin somewhere, doesn't it? It has to begin. Jesus started it some 2,000 years ago. We can start it right here, right now. And we can choose as a church to make a difference. Remember, our statement for the year, our vision for the year is, I have decided. You're going to hear that all throughout this year. You're going to get sick of it. 
But the truth is, is you've got to determine what have you decided. Have you decided to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you decided to give your heart and your life to him? Jesus has come to change everything, and he can change your life. Things back then are no different than they are today. People were sinners then, we're still sinners now. Jesus said that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. We need to repent and we need to believe in the gospel. And you may sit there, you may be sitting there this morning and going, I don't know how. I don't know where to start. How do you do this thing? Well, we're going to help you this morning. So, uh, Timmy, if you would, put up there on the screen. The ABCs. Who in the church has ever heard of the ABC as the Christian? All right. We're going to go through these things real quick. Doesn't have to be difficult. Number one, you have to admit that you're a sinner who needs to repent. You have to admit that you're a sinner. And if this helps you at all, he already knows. It's not like you're you're going to shock him. You'd be like, hey, Jesus, I just need you to know, like, I sinned against you. He'd be like, what? When did this happen? He already knows. So just, just be like, Jesus, I have sinned against you. And he's going to go, thank you for telling me. Already knew, but thank you for telling me. The next one is B. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe in his birth and in his death and in resurrection church you have to admit that you're a sinner and then you got to believe that he is the one and only true son of God that he is big enough and capable enough and the only person who can do the work by which the good father above has sent him to do and then the last one is confess confess that Jesus is Lord and receive salvation that is found in no other name confess Jesus is the Lord of my life. It seems like such a simplified thing, doesn't it? A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. Truth is, is there's people in this room today who need this, who won't do it today. Because it's that hard. But I'm telling you, you can And all it takes is one simple act of faith. It means that when Satan tries to hold your rear end to the seat, because we're going to do an invitation here in just a moment, so actually I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come up, if you would. We're going to do a time of invitation. And if this is you, if you know in your heart, I need Jesus Christ for the first time in my life, I'm going to invite you to come forward. If you believe in your heart that you're unsure and that you're probably a good person and you probably will be going to heaven, I'm going to invite you to take the probably out of it and make it assured today and to come forward. You see, I've decided, and I'm I'm just as in need of that statement as everybody else. I've decided to stop leaving it in a place where I say, you know what, do what you want during this time of invitation. I've decided I'm going to stop saying it 
any other way than if you need Jesus Christ, I need you to come forward. Because there is something about coming forward and giving your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. About making it known. You can do it anywhere, and that is true. You can go home, you can go into your closet, you can shut the door, and you give your heart and soul to Jesus Christ. But the reason I say today, during this time of invitation to come forward, is because we shouldn't be ashamed when it happens. I should be willing to say, I am a child of God, and I do not care who knows it. I want people to know who I am, and I am willing to put everything that I am on the line for that. So if that's you today, you don't know Jesus, and you want to know him, come forward. If you're not sure, come forward. And if you need a change in your life, if you've already given your heart to the Lord, but, but there's just something inside you, you say, you know what, I'm just not okay. I'm inviting you to come forward. This altar is open. I'm here if you need to talk to me. But I can't save you. But I'm inviting you to come forward and to, and to kneel. If you can't kneel, the pews are open. But, but, but kneel before God and give your heart to him. Admit yourself, believe yourself, and confess yourself to him. And make yourself known that you need him. Trust in Jesus Christ today as your Savior. All I can do is ask. All I can do is beg you to do that. Don't let another day, not another minute pass of you being unassured of your eternity. Jesus came to bring the good news of the gospel. And this church is doing that every time we gather in this place unapologetically. Let's pray. So Father, you've heard the message that has come today. Jesus, you know the heart of every single person in this room. And I, Lord, we invite you in today. We invite your Holy Spirit to come and to work and to move. And Lord, I pray that you would just simply fill this place to the point where the walls can't even contain it. we need you in a very real way. Because so many people in this room I know are broken. So many people in this room are in desperate need of you. And they know it themselves. They just, they just don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. And so God, I pray that you would help them. That as we stand to sing this next song, Jesus, that you would remove any of the cares, the embarrassments, any of the things that are holding people back, the people are going to be looking at me, that you would, you would cast it all away. And if it's Satan that's holding us back, Lord, in your name, Jesus, we tell Satan, get behind us. Because he has no hold over us here today. He has no hold over you because we know that you have won the victory, Jesus. We praise you for that as well. So be with us here now. Move us in this time of invitation, Jesus. Let it be for you and for your glory. That's the way it should only be. We thank you and we praise and ask these things in your precious name today. Amen.